Hey, did you ever think about how wonderful it might be to be an anonymous? Just for a while. Often, we feel that the internet provides precisely that. But the illusion of anonymity, of a different body, a separate self, no longer exists. We believe Google Maps and other platforms. We trust they provide us with the truth. But Liliana Farber, today's guest, hacked these platforms to show us that it is easy to manipulate them. We will hear about the islands that she creates and don't exist. What does it mean to float in the internet ocean while using a flagless ship? And she, and I quote, build interfaces that celebrate chaos and experiences that use frustration as a strategy. All and more in today's episode. We are being told to choose between the left and right brain, between studying art and engineering, between creative and analytical thinking. Our society tells us that art and business are not connected. But what if society is wrong? What if it misleading us? The good news is that understanding what art is can bring us to a new revelation. Art does matter in innovation, technology and entrepreneurship. And with the help of this podcast and its guests, You as well will learn that art is not an object. Art is a mindset. You are listening to the Artian Podcast. With me, Nir Hindi. Hey listeners, thanks again for coming back. Before we begin, I want to tell you about an episode we are working on. This time the guest is you. Yes, you, our listeners. We are working on a Q&A episode where you can ask questions anything you want about the intersection of art, entrepreneurship, technology, and innovation. And I will answer, or at least do my best. Send us your questions to podcast at theartian.com. And if you want to be heard on the show, just send us the voice message. We will make sure to have you on our future show. Today's guest, Liliana Farber, is among the group of artists that always fascinated me. Those group of artists that work with technology, especially those that made me think about the influence technology has on my life. I want to believe that these artists and their work equip me with an in-depth understanding of the world around me and what it means to live in a technological era. Liliana does exactly that. She made me think, and I'm positive you will as well. Hey, Liliana, welcome to the Artian Podcast. Hi, Nir. Thank you for having me. Liliana, can you take a moment to introduce yourself? Sure. I am a Uruguayan slash Israeli new media artist based in New York currently. In my work, I investigate the ways the virtual world redefines the physical one. And using custom-made software and collected materials from the internet, I create images, installations, and interactive work. My practice is a research-based one, and I condense an abundance of information into unsuccessful data visualizations. Liliana, I have a question. You mentioned so many things that we will touch uh, during our podcast, but before everything, I want to ask you, normally when someone thinks about an artist, they think about a painter, someone maybe that they uh, work with paint or someone that may be working with a material as a sculptor, but you choose technology as the artistic material. Why working with technology? So I started as a painter. Maybe it is the most accessible way to start when uh, somebody is attracted to the artistic medium. And I transformed into working with photography 
And along the way, I was introduced to processing by an artist in Uruguay. I, I was very interested in these new technologies and it took me a long time to figure out how to include it in my work. But it was definitely a process. You moved from painting into photography and from photography into technology. Today, we're introducing is a revolutionary mobile phone. We are living in an era in which technology has become so pervasive that it influences every aspect of our lives. Smartphones have become integral to the modern world. And in your work, you interrogate how this reliance on smartphones and technology actually affects real interactions, but also how the specific language of the virtual is shaping our perception of time, space, and place in our real world. So one of the things you said, and I quote, there is no more online world as opposition or expansion of the real world. There is only world. What do you mean? So I think um, uh, at the beginning of the internet, we had a more clear separation of the worlds. You have the space to log in uh, and to log out, the space when you know data is being collected and when you feel safe. And then maybe this interaction is more for not the, let's say, the digital natives as we are somehow in between these generations. I remember when I was a child, I think I got internet at the age of 11 or 12, waiting for nighttime to connect to the internet with my friend that meant to block the telephone line. I remember also to having a little pad where I was uh, writing the web addresses of the cool websites that I, that I found around. These kind of thought processes are, I belong to a world of the physical. And right now, as Olia Lialina points out in, in some of her essays, the technology is becoming transparent. There is no more users, but people. That's what she says. And the, the worlds are intertwined, especially if we think about how um, the current infrastructure of the internet world functions and what is the effect that it has in our daily life from governmental you know, websites that, that we have to access through the internet through all the physical effects from information, capital flow, uh, restructuring of power, to even mining of the minerals that are needed for the construction of the internet's infrastructure and the energy that it creates. It is very intertwined and it becomes, it becomes a physical thing that I don't think it is separable any longer as a, a different experience. So it's not only us having a virtual life. Now our life is our life in the physical and in the virtual. But also what you are saying is that technology started to influence our uh, politics, our earth, our uh, resources. So everything just became one. It's very interesting because I always say I'm a digital immigrant. I'm not a digital native. I grew up in the streets, not That's playing it. with the computer. I love the digital immigrant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so your works are actually touching all those uh, things. And one of the work that you had, it's called The Device is the Message. And for 10 weeks, you expose part of your life 
basically everything tinder matches thoughts your personal photos and all are available for the public even today you can just log in and see it on the google why doing that why taking one step even though maybe we think that yes someone might see those stuff you actually went one step further and just exposed everything So I was invited by the guy Larry Arbi to do a digital residency and to work for three months to work on an artwork. And the original invitation was to do an online exhibition and add artwork. And I immediately knew that I wanted to do a work for smartphones. So the curator in Imbrodbardi asked, what does it mean to do a digital residency? How can we create an open experience for viewers, you know, to see the process like um, open studios or studio visits are in a physical residency. My practice is research-based practice. I spend most of my time reading and uh, watching movies and uh, talking to developers and making diagrams. So I thought it would be interesting to make that accessible to the audience to see how the work is, how the ideas flow one into another, and what informs uh, my project. And I updated the blog on almost a daily basis. So viewers could really see where my line of thoughts were going. And you could see, you know, I, I had a date at one moment with network engineer, and I, and I took the phone and I filmed our date that it is a mixture of explaining about a network surveillance and, and, you know, and hitting one into another, you know, flirting. So... But wait, um, what, what is his response? You go to a date and you take your phone and tell him, wait, I'm going to film it? Yes, they have positive attitudes. They were very playful. In this case, I didn't film his face. It was only the hands. It is actually a fun video scene how the... His hands are explaining the process of encrypting messages coming from one hand to the other. And my hand was in the opposite place. And every time that he was talking, the messages from here or here, he would touch my hand, you know, just to <laughs> just to touch it. And, and there was something like responses that surprised you that people responded to that? One thing, the one response that you remember? So... At the beginning, when I was working on that project, I was, I was dating. I was using online dating and guys were nervous that I was, <laughs> I was dating them as materials, which I was. <laughs> they were scary to become famous, you know, uh, as materials. And how, I don't know, online viewers or bloggers or people that saw all these exposure responded? I didn't receive any response that surprised me. I think people are interested in general how an artist thinks and works. And it's, and it's not always accessible uh, to see. And I, I try to be as transparent as possible. Every web page, every movie, everything that I thought it was, it was available. I wanted to do a double thing to document the process, but also to explore the smartphone technologies through it. And so I was trying to use every kind of tool my phone had to do so. And part of the blog 
are documentations and part of the blog are me playing with those features because it happens more than once that I try to document in a new way and I find something interesting about the algorithm and then I become playing to understand really how the algorithm works. You know, when you say it, I'm positive listeners also thinking about it, is that you know that you are exposed in the internet, but it's somehow you don't want to think about it. And what you did is like you actually put yourself out there knowing that you are doing it on purpose. And that made me wonder that all those tech companies know about us more than we know about ourselves. But still, when we will be asked to do an act like you did, it will be very difficult to expose everything, even though every company probably knows already. So another uh, work that you did is actually called Blue Vessel. And over here, you actually combined a few ideas. One of them is geography. One of them is the story of Robinson Crusoe, etc. Tell us about this, this work. What was the logic behind it? So this work uh, was the result of the devices, the message residency. Why it was uh, a result? Because during this residency, I was working on Blue Vessel and I was documenting how I arrived to everything from the idea I want to do an app artwork to how I arrived to it. All the process is the devices, the message. So tell us about Blue Vessel. What is it? So Blue Vessel is an app artwork that it is hosted on a flagless server. It's hosted on a flagless ship drifting on international waters. And this is kind of a loophole that I found in the international legal system that places Blue Vessel users virtually nowhere. So wait, wait, wait. I want to make sure that we understand. So you have servers now that are on a flagless ship, that they are somewhere in the world now traveling or cruising with this ship belonging to nowhere? Yes. So why it is important it's on a flagless ship? So because I was researching international law regarding to the internet very fascinated by it and i found out that actually you know this comes from uh, this old conception that we had about the internet to being a place of freedom a place that you can be anonymous you can be whoever you wanted to be yeah net neutrality in a way yeah we had this idea that you log with a, with a different self and there is no data so much tracking about you and you can be, you can escape this world and be, and be free. And the reality nowadays, it, it couldn't be farther from that. So I wanted to create an experience that somehow recreated not only as a, as a user experience, but as an illegal experience. How can we do an, an internet that actually feels free, that, has, that it's anonymous? In my work, I don't have any cookies. There's no login. There's no recognition of any user. And the users, they're not bound to any particular law. So the work starts with a user agreement and that explains particular journey. 
and uh, states that unless this ship is bordered by pirates or annexed by a, another ship that has a flag, the information it is and it will be anonymous and free. When you pass the agreement, the app has two functions. One is to write and uh, the second one is to browse stories. There is a limitation yeah. over here. People only can use words that are coming from the book Robinson Crusoe. Yeah. So in your smartphone over the keyboard, you have a set of three suggested words, right? These are in every keyboard in a smartphone. These words come from a trained model, from an algorithm that analyzes a big data set of text messages, you know, trying to guess what is more likely for you to say next, trying to make it more efficient. So what I did, it is a keyboard that doesn't have the regular letters, but only a nine or a set of nine suggested words, let's say. But in my case, my algorithm that used one very similar, it is not trained on a data set of text messages, but it is trained on the book Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe. And the user is only write stories or messages using these nine words. You select one and then you have another set of nine. So the user is pushed to be inside Robinson Crusoe's story. And that, does the user know that actually the words are taken from Robinson Crusoe or they just know that they have nine words that they can use? So what I love about Robinson Crusoe being the first English uh, modern novel, at the beginning, it feels very natural, very normal. This could be, this could be whatever. But as you start to, to select, it is pretty much loaded in the, in the theme of voyages and exploration and it is very passionate spirit about politics and character. So these things come across and there is a moment of disbelief that happens when somebody is using the app, when you realize something is wrong. Now people actually log in, they have nine words, because you just mentioned that people can read and people can write. Uh, let's finish with the writing experience. When you select send, you get a message this the message you just created was uh, just uploaded with a random URL to the internet, and it works some sort of as a contemporary message in a bottle in the internet waters. So maybe at some point somebody come across your message, or maybe not. It will float forever on the internet ocean, and then you have the browser. The browser when you arrive. It is long list of links. Each link has an article or a video that teaches users how to survive on a desert island, how, how to make a raft, how to survive for long terms on a stranded boat, how to fight sharks, all these kind of skills that somebody must have when they're gonna embark on a voyage. And the thing about is that when the user starts to scroll down, the links become, they start to disintegrate and the letters start to float around and they be slowly becoming a sea of letters. 
Now, the links are still active and accessible, so viewers can still navigate back and forth, but they lose the sense of uh, location and they become a more like a random experience. So there are many aspects over here. There is a legal experience, there is a writing experience, there is an exploration experience. And one of the things I'm interested, I mean, those things that people write with the nine words, is it accessible to read for everyone? Or we just need to hope we will get into it somewhere in the Internet Ocean? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> okay. And you as the artist, as the curator, you have access to everything that has been written. Yes. So every time uh, an anonymous user writes a message, sends a message, I get an anonymous email. I keep following and what the user sends. And for the past years, it has been an amazing experience. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I see a weird message, sometimes a, a beautiful weird message, and I have no idea who and where in the world or how can somebody come across my app. And all of this from these nine words all the time, limiting to nine words. Well, nine words and then they be another nine and another nine. Yes. So this is how the work Anonymous was created. So I started to become really in love with those messages that I was receiving. And I remember one morning I, I wake up and I see, I see an email from Lou Vessel. And it was something like, when they say I must be much married, And I was, mom, <laughs> these uh, messages, I kind of start to feel connected in a way. They're starting to tell my story. And I was thinking for a long time, what can I do with those messages? And after, I think it was two years, I decided to create a story with them. So, so this is actually the work that is a collaborative uh, video installation we are talking about? Yeah. This yes. is involves like storytelling, all the new technologies. We have over here anonymous users that you don't know that actually wrote in Blue Vessel. You have AI algorithm. We have 1,700 famous writers. You yourself as the artist. And a battle of creating meanings from all this language. Exactly. So, so exactly. tell us about this work. I think at, at, until the moment, I have around 2,000 messages. And some of them fall into different themes. So the first thing that I did, uh, I printed them all and I started to categorize them into themes. You know, this word, these are about politics, these are about voyages, these are about love stories. And what I did at the, at the end, I filled all, this, all the walls on my studio, putting the messages on big columns according to the subject. And I started uh, to, to write like that, a story. And I just, I didn't put it in the wall. This was the first message of my story. And this is how, how I write it. One wall was the, was the story, the other three walls containing all the messages. And I was circling the space and trying to use as many as, as I had. The resulting story, it is a long one. I knew that in order to make sense, I had to write an epic. I couldn't just like write, you know, combine five messages into a story that, that anybody can do. But the question is, can I make a story with 
all these anonymous people's stories that actually took wrote with the words of Robinson Crusoe in collaboration with the algorithm. That was the question. And what I love about the resulting story, it still contains the fanatism, the, the political, you know, the religious fanatism of the original character. And, you know, it is around the sea theme. But in my story, all the elements are shifted. And the story is about a woman. She was born in a place colonized by England. And the story is about her trying to emancipate herself and her country and to find love. And for me, what is beautiful, it is how in our time, me, with the users, we took an iconic colonial book and rewrote it. We made it about ourselves. And through that process, we, as users, we shift the political power from colonial power to the people. Liliana, before we continue, let's take a short break. Hi, listeners. It's clear that our speakers are at the intersection of art and innovation, but they didn't just arrive there casually. They developed their skills, gained knowledge, and more importantly, grew their artistic mindset. Would you like to develop some of these skills, capabilities, or a growth mindset? Then I would encourage you to check our art-based learning experiences. Whether you want to build your leadership skills or your innovation competencies, our training can be just what you are looking for. Visit us at www.theartian.com. That is T-H-E-A-R-T-I-A-N.com to learn more. We are back with Liliana and we just discussed Anonymous. And Liliana, one of the things that Arabite website wrote about your work, and I quote, she builds interfaces that celebrate chaos and experiences that use frustration as a strategy. What does it mean using frustration as a strategy? What do you try to achieve? So in product design, when you're doing websites, when you're doing apps or experiences, you try to be as seamless as possible. You try to be transparent to the experience, to feel intuitive. And this is, this is what creates a happy user, a user that doesn't think about technology, that becomes part of their environment. Um, but I feel that it is important in order to break that type of experience incites users to be critical of the things they use, of the algorithms that they are influencing them, that they are collecting data from them to create an experience that is not seamless, an experience that breaks things are through, through the glitch, through the chaos, um, through the frustration, actually. I think that it's very important. You can see the infrastructure. So basically what you are saying is that you don't want necessarily to make it seamless because you want the users to actually be aware how the technology works on them or use them. Is that exactly. Correct? Which leads me to my next question, the role of the artist. Because one of my, my friends, Eran Adas, you know him as well, said that we need artists to be more cyber skeptics. 
I think to be cyber skeptical, to be skeptical towards technology and to find how it affects society and to push it towards uh, more just directions of technology, to have technology be uh, decentralized and to be a more social just. What do you think about that? What is the role of the artist in a technological era? Well, artists role across all time was to process the reality in they are uh, surrounded and to think what are the implications you know what is and what it could be and in our time technologies has a, a, a very prominent role in how the world is being shaped and I think not only new media artists but I feel that It comes across almost all disciplines. We are talking about new technologies, about this new way of reality, about information overload, about data collection. And particularly new media artists have the role to understand these algorithms, these technologies, and to help viewers to have a critical stance on them. One of the things you also uh, said, and you started to touch it in your answer, is that we look at the past with a critical eye. We always like to criticize what people did in the past, but we don't do it today. Is that what you're trying to do with your works? Yes, I am trying to create a link between all forms of imperial colonization in new forms. I think somehow it is easier to see to the naked eye, for example, how European colonization shaped the world, but we tend to be less critical about platforms, the new technology companies, information systems that we currently use. And in my work, I try to create these connections between old maps to Google Maps between all forms of language influence to new forms of language influence. Sometimes it is easier to trust, for example, in Google Maps, images that are made uh, by machines that they are processed what we think without human bias, images that are processed of data visualizations and What I'm trying always to do with my works is to manipulate the algorithms and to show how easy to manipulate and how the results are not per se naked truth, but are the result of the design of the algorithms per se. While you are talking, I was remembering one artwork that I saw by an artist that uh, took 99 phones. activate the Google map and then went around the Google building. I think it was in Germany and actually flooded the system. The place is like packed with traffic and then everyone needed to go to other places. So it's interesting to see how artists uh, kind of hack those algorithms and try challenge those algorithms. You also did a very interesting connections. And that's, by the way, what I love about artists. Always people think that artists are so ingrained only to what they do without actually understanding that artists across disciplines. And one of the connections you did is between the human body and data. 
how actually you connected the human body and data? In my work, I, technology has a special uh, consciousness. And it is not that I try to create a more human technological experience, but uh, technology itself has sort of a life of its own. And I like to bring the example of my work at Rift for that. Uh, at Rift is a performance between machines that happens in the channels of the internet infrastructure. So there is a tiny server in the gallery that sends a signal to travel to a random server connected on the internet and, and to come back. And in that journey, the signal gets transformed into light. It travels in one color of the spectrum on fiber optic cables. It travels along Facebook likes and Tinder matches and job applications. And it reaches a particular server, a random server, and asks for a tiny connection, for a sort of kiss of some way. And, and then it comes back to the tiny server in the gallery space to begin another quest. So in the gallery, there is also a thermal printer that logs all the signal journey in the forms of timestamps. Every time that the signal went to a quest and it was denied of a connection because most servers that are connected are maybe from big tech companies like Facebook or Google or maybe governmental or military. And these servers deny this briefcase. But other type of devices, like our devices, for example, uh, they are more generous and they allow this simple, this simple brief connection. So every time that the signal comes back without a connection, the printer prints the local time of the server in the gallery. And every time there was a connection, the printer prints the local time of the server and the local time of the server that responded in one next to the other. So in a way, I try to imagine would look like for this signal, what is this travels looks for, for signals. And we are, all the time, uh, we are translated into signals, right? Like every time that we browse, that, that we move with our phone, with the, that we send messages. And I try to imagine when I send a text message overseas, if those signals are still part of myself and what are their travels? I am travel with them. At the end, our experience and the signal experience are not so different. We are both manifestations of this physical world. And I think heat is such a particular effect of the physical world. And it's, a, and it's an effect that, that both human and energy that travels across no, this information has. That it, through this metaphor that I'm talking about, that we both produce the data and we both produce heat, I try to imagine data as an extension of ourselves and, and our um, engagement on the world. You take it one step further, I think, from what all of us think about ourselves in the, in the technological era. That's what I think beautiful about art. Makes you wonder all those deep questions around what are we doing and what these implications in the web and how it relates to us. 
Liliana, one of the things you also do is that you actually work in a tech company. I always wonder, what does it mean for you as an artist to work in a tech company? How your colleagues respond to the fact that they have artists in their, on their team? Does it invite a different conversations? What is the experience for you and for them maybe? The company I work for uh, has been immensely supportive over the years with my artistic practice. And I am sure they appreciate the set of skills that I have being also an artist and a designer. For me, maybe it's hard to, to see them on myself, but I'm sure that, that I bring something different to the table. I think the benefit, it's for me. Mostly, I love being inside a, a high-tech company and see how decisions are made, how algorithms are designed, how the industry actually works. And this informs uh, my practice a lot. Your work is part of your process of research. In a way, it is. And I feel like it is my work in, as an artist and as a product designer are two sides of the same coin. When I have my design hat, I try to be as smoothless and as an empathetic with users and try to create seamless experiences. When I change to my artist hat, then it's things that become fun and I break them and I try to block for users the experience as, as much as I can. I'm interested. You just mentioned how you, what you do in your head what you do as a designer and an artist, what is, in your opinion, the difference between design and art? Well, they both use a lot of creativity, energy. But in design, I think the goal is to arrive to a clear uh, message or experience that doesn't leave so much room to doubt. You know, it's to solve a problem, to create... Um, coherent, clear experience. As an artist, I just try to prototype the problem to enlarge, you know, to create more questions and to create sort of a solution that doesn't solve anything, but ask more questions and to invite many possibilities of thoughts or in, of interpretation. You know, I'm smiling because I always say that for me, Art is about asking questions. Design is about finding solutions. Exactly. And that's why, in a way, they work together. Liliana, we are getting into the end of our podcast, and you just won the Lumen Prize for Art and Technology in category of steel images, and with your work, Teram in Aspectu. Yeah. And it's related to something that you mentioned, that you connect between old maps to new maps, and it will be also available online in an exhibition of, organized by MIT Leonardo, the Art and Science magazine, a great magazine, by the way. I'm subscribed to this magazine and I learn a lot on this intersection. And that will be an online exhibition of the work. Maybe you can tell us briefly before we finish, what is this work? It is a series of phantom islands that these are islands that appear in maps for many years, but at some point were proven to have never existed. So I recreated those islands as satellite photography through a machine learning algorithm trained with images from Google Earth. So I 
use in a way proven to to be wrong data in to recreate satellite photography in a way to show how manipulative this imagery can be so you basically took islands that people thought existed but they are not existed and you recreate them and feed them into the google earth So if someone now take a boat and check Google Earth, see that there is an island just to discover there isn't. There isn't. There wasn't. There never was. <laughs> Great. But you have the representation, yes. Uh, all our listeners, uh, uh, everything Liliana mentioned, we will add the links on our website. You will have the access to the show notes and the, the work itself will be available on the MIT exhibition online that start next month in December, correct? Yes. Liliana, thank you very much for taking thank the time you. to chat with me and sharing all your uh, work. I think that one of the things I take from everything we discussed is that this frustration is a strategy. Actually, we always look for the seamless, but we also need to be aware of what are those technologies taking in our day to day. Thank you. Very, very much. Thank you, Neri. We are producing our podcast without any ads, and we are relaying on our community's direct support. People like you, our listeners. So if you find it valuable, I will be super grateful if you could spread the word by leaving a rating and maybe a review. It will take you just 30 seconds to do so, and it is very helpful in getting these ideas to a wider audience. If you are interested to develop your artistic mindset, if you are looking to grow your business, if you want to develop the innovation competencies in your organizations, I will highly recommend you to check our workshops and trainings, all available on our website. The episode was mixed and mastered by Daniel Duran. You can subscribe to the Artian Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our previous shows are available on our website, www.derteyan.com slash podcast Each episode includes show notes, guest recommendations, videos, and other materials. We can also be found on our LinkedIn page, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us directly via email at podcast at derteyan.com So I will be waiting here for you in the next episode with me, Nir Hindi. Once again, Thanks for listening.